Hi, I'm JD. This is Chimera Cast, a production of the Chimera Collective. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcatcher. We also have merch available and just launched our Patreon. For backing, you'll gain access to our Discord and the ability to vote on upcoming seasides. You can also get an RSS feed for an unabridged tableside version of the podcast, which includes all our banter, rules discussions, and session debriefs. We'll also have game readings and occasional exclusive seasides in that feed. Links to the details and our social media are in the show notes. Hi, I'm Zach. I'm playing Melio Moretti, the Bard. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm playing Urazidi, the Spellblade. Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm playing Kimmon Belaskis, the Shaman. I'm JD. I'm your Dungeon Master for this game. This is Chimera Cast, a Dungeon World actual play podcast. Last time we left off with the three of you sharing an afternoon lunch with Navath and Ko'okal, these two elves wearing black cloaks that you met at the top of the ridge that you have climbed up. I think we can cut back in any time in the afternoon, and I think it's about, you know, the height of the afternoon, three, four o'clock, something like that. A gust of mountain air comes down, this kind of chill air, and it actually sweeps the ever-present haze away and you guys see the sun for the first time in days i think down in the valley underneath the ridge is still covered in a fog right the wind doesn't make it down there but it blows across where you're at so there is navath and koakal and then are there's other elves around here right no it is just the two of them oh it's just those two yep okay it was in my vision that i saw a bunch of other elves in your vision, you saw a couple dozen, and you saw numerous stone houses. Okay. And and it's just the one now, right? It's the one, like, and now it's just a mud hut, basically. <laughs> the remains of the deer, I think, are, like, simmering in a pot, if anybody gets hungry later. Uh, Navath, these machines, do you have data collected from them somewhere? What do they do? While you are discussing, I think Koakal is sitting at the machinery, right? And yes, is writing down on vellum. And Navath says, The mechanisms are for monitoring. We watch. We note any changes in the necropolis, I believe you called it. Why? What changes are you looking for? We believe it is only a matter of time before the Cyclops returns. And I assume you would want to stop that? Of course. 
Are there others here who would seek to hasten this uh, tyrant's arrival? Perhaps uh, a mummified person? So you've had a run-in with a priest? <laughs> a bit of a, an understatement, but yes, we've, we've met one. I don't think he'll be bothering anybody anytime soon. There, a rare sighting, but we have had to defend ourselves against them before. Have there been changes in any of the readings of late? That is beyond my knowledge. You would have to speak with my master. It is difficult for me to interpret the mechanisms. And do you have any of the other readings from the past? Are they kept somewhere? Not here. But yes, they are kept. To keep them here would... Well, the records are substantial. Thank you for your help, Navath. Navath bows to you. I'm going to go... I am going to go. And Urizidi just takes off towards Koakal. Melio and Kimin, what are you two doing while your friend is having a conversation with Navath? Melio, if you'll allow, I, I want to try to touch on your concerns last week with hearing the news that this isn't really going to pan out in the direction that you want it to with respect to your story. So you, you keep a journal, yeah? Yeah, I would think so, yeah. I don't think it's been on camera, but that is me. Yeah, anyway. I think uh, there's definitely some notes being taken, scribbles of lyrics, things of this nature. It pans out from... Urizidi talking to Navath, and we see in the far corner of this plateau we're on, laying in a beam of sunlight, the raccoon sprawled out, sunning its belly. Hell yeah. <laughs> and Kimmon walks through the frame, and the camera continues to follow him over his shoulder as Melio is furiously, powdily writing. What are you doing? Uh, I'm revising. Kimmon smiles. Revising. Have you ever heard of creative interpretation? Maybe is a term you you might be familiar with. Go on. So a really nice way to create narrative uh, tension is to create a, a linearity to each of the order of things. And I think definitely in the order of things, the dwarves must have come first from the Cyclopes, followed by the elves and maybe the men last. Who cares? But I think for the for the juxtaposition in the song, it should definitely... Dwarves can come first. And he looks up and points at you. Dwarves definitely came first. I'm pretty sure that he said they were all the Cyclopes' servants. The dwarves... The men and the elves. Do you remember this? You want to walk into a king's lair and tell him that his was the first race to be enslaved? I feel it is better than the third, and especially the second. Your story's boring. It sucks. <laughs> You're angling for his uh, flag, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, this isn't great, and it's also not very interesting, so... Not, no offense, I didn't mean it that way. What you don't seem to understand is that every story needs an element, and you just have to repeat the element enough to make it into a theme. What story do you want to tell? That I don't know yet. I thought that's why we were heading in this general direction, was to find out more 
about these cyclopes. Well, maybe. And Kimmon grabs you by the shoulder, like, put your arm around your neck and, and gesture out toward the larger world. And I point toward the necropolis, which we can, we know the direction of. I don't think we, well, I guess with the breeze, we might be able to see a glimpse of it. But I'm not trying to angle for anything, so it doesn't matter. It's pretty much just down in the haze. I don't think you can see it. That's fair. The point being, a gesture toward the area the necropolis is in. Apparently, there's a dead cyclops there. And who put it there? Huh? Maybe one of your dumb king's progenitors. That might be true. I bet you can make it true. And also, don't call him dumb. And then I just crack a sideways smile. <laughs> My point is, I wouldn't tell Frothgar what Korkal told us. Yeah, some stronger editing might be needed. Though I'd hate for this whole interaction to go unwritten. Waste of time, really. We'll see. Maybe something will come of it yet. At the very least, Korkal could be a navigator through the larger story. Wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Uruzidi, if you're just wanting to go to talk to Korkal, you can do that. Are you still working on that story? No, just finished. Why? Well, let's hear it then. I'm a king-ish. To be. <laughs> Kimmon snickers as hard as I just did, pulls the truffle out of his pocket from earlier, and begins eating it like an apple. Yes, I believe that is the difference between a king and a not king is ish. Yes, well, I'm taller than your king. I'm sure he could chop you down to size. I doubt it, but agree to disagree. <laughs> I imagine Urzidi kind of looking at his legs and, like, measuring them in his mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have I ever told you how my king, my Jarl, came to power? You have explicitly told them about it, because we talked about the fact that on your journey to this place, you sang your song of, I forget what it's called, the nobleman and the hammer or some shit. Yeah. So yeah, I think Uruzidi, you can lean into that too. Like He has told you probably many times. Well, I assume it's something like how my father came to power. Killing rivals, stealing wives and daughters, adding them to his harem, slow but inevitable expanse of empire. Besides, I've heard the story enough times now that I could probably tell it back to you. Something about a wrestling match? <laughs> Barbaric. The ladies sometimes say it's manly. Well, I'm sure the women that you associate with do. Yes, they aren't slaves. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that uh, Urzidi is self-aware enough to, like, think of that as an insult, right? Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. That's <laughs> Kimmon's reaction is enough to let you know that it's an insult. Okay, fair. What are your flags, Emilio? Uh, tell me that my story's boring, and what was my other one? Give a part of yourself to my story. Yeah. I hit the first one. Go for the second one. I think it's more interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I, that's where I was already kind of thinking to go. I'm just trying to think. Rosidi tries to like shrug it off. We all wear chains, Emilio. Peasants are no different than slaves in a harem. They have little choice to acquiesce to your lord. No, we do not all wear chains, Zidi. We do not all understand metaphors from books. That some woman taught you in school. Some of us have to do things. Things we don't want to do. I know you have uh, lived a pretty nice life inside of your little palace with your mother. Some of us have had to fight for everything and anything we have. 
So maybe don't try and tell me what my experience is like. I've had to struggle. I've had to fight. My older brothers and sisters have tried to have me killed at least six times. If you feel belabored under this task to write a bullshit story for your tiny king, why not come with me, write my story? Far more interesting, unfolding right before your eyes. Come with me back to the capital. We'll raise an army and I'll go put this king of yours to the sword. That's what we do to barbarians. From personal experience, I know you'll raise more than just a barbarian city if it's in your way. Or at least your father will. No, no. No. Not now. All right. Both of you. We can't be proceeding like this. Particularly getting close to Melio, who is... I think from that line, Melio sounds like you're pretty close to violence. Am I misreading this? Yeah, probably a little blood coursing through my veins. We have business here. Any raising of cities or discussion thereof can happen later. Well then, let the jester lead the way. And I make space for Zidi <laughs> to continue walking forward. Is Koakal making notes on the far end near the machinery, right? Yeah, it's right like along the edge of the ridge. He's, he's center frame as Melio parts. Or Zidi gestures back to Melio to continue. Isn't being a jester your job, fool? I think we get a nice break in the tension as we're both gesturing out for the other to go forward, and the raccoon just trots in between us. Yeah, that's what I was just Breaks thinking. Breaks the tension. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it comes and tries to paw at the truffle that Kimmin is eating. <laughs> Waddles into frame and holds its hands up, tugging on your pant leg. For the love of the gods. As I toss the truffle, and it catches it expertly in its mouth. As I walk toward Koakal. As you are approaching the whirring vibrations of these apparati, you can like feel it physically in your chest. And there's a moment where Koakal, not noticing your approach, right, marks something down on this piece of vellum with a charcoal pencil, basically, and then reaches forward and turns a crystal jutting out. And the best way I can describe this equipment is it's Susian. Like, it's this big golden apparatus that has all sorts of strange projections and tubes and funnels, things like that, right? To no clear purpose. Jack Kirby-esque? Yes. Kirby-esque is also a good... Yeah. Those, those yeah. kinds of Magitech kind of looking contraptions. That's a good touchstone. But he turns a crystal on one part of this machine, and as he does so, you feel the vibrations move from your chest and they sink into your stomach. You can, like, physically feel it moving through your body, reverberating the hollow parts of your body. Are you doing anything? Say anything? He doesn't really seem to notice you. I try yelling his name over the sound of the machinery. Mm. It's not really that loud. Oh, okay. It's loud in a, such a deep, low frequency that you can speak normally. Well, I can't speak normally, so I'm not sure he can hear me. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I get a little bit too close before he notices that I'm there. Hello. Come in. Was it? Yes. Korakal. <coughs> We'd like to know what exactly it is that you're measuring. Any information you can give us about the path ahead. The machine in front of you monitors the lingering effects of the ritual. And what ritual? Exactly. 
<laughs> you have no idea what you're doing, do you? Kevin smirks. Sick Nilkabor was seeking immortality. Thus, a ritual. And what ritual would that be precisely? Well, the ritual that made all of this, that created this place, you called it a necropolis. It is something of the opposite. You're saying he's alive in there. I'm saying it is trying to be alive. Have there been any fluctuations? There is something happening. Difficult to tell, though. Well, what's your educated guess, then? It is gathering power. And I assume it would be bad if it was to get out. Not if you find the idea of enslavement appealing. Well, how do we stop it, then? How do you stop the sun from rising? What's your educated guess this time? This is not what I'm here for. Well, who put him in there in the first place? It put itself there. Why? To attain immortality. Erzidi is very intrigued by the idea of a ritual that could grant him immortality. <laughs> Start asking questions. I know. What kind of ritual? A horrible one. Look at what it has made. This place bleeds with its magic. So do we know from any of our like previous visions or anything we've found out on the island, and I'm just blanking on it, did it give up its tyranny? Or it chose to go into this place and like abandoned its empire or whatever it had created is that what happened if i'm if i'm reading into this i i believe the being trapped is a side effect of the ritual uh, not the intention of the ritual so they're basically measuring how close he is to being done yeah at the very least i think that's that's our inference but i think this is all pretty fair then how much time do we have left if things are accelerating shouldn't we go stop him we have watched this place for an age, and it lie here for ages before. I'm not sure how quickly things will happen. My guess would be we could have a lifetime, or more, or less. Do your people have some kind of plan in place? What happens if it gets out, or completes the ritual? You're just going to watch and wait no, we are here to warn our people. We will run and hide. It's what we do best. Well, if we're going to stop it, what's the easiest, or at least most direct, way there? We're on, like, the lip of the ridge, right? Right. I imagine a sort of fence to keep just accidentally falling over, and Kimmon has his forearms on the barricade, as it were. You cannot go there. You will die. Or worse yet, you'll trigger something. We've been to a lot of places we can't go. How do we get there? Kolkov frowns. 
their gaunt, scarred face, clearly displeased. And Kolokal stands, and you see underneath their cloak, they have a black sword and a bow of horn. You can tell that it's deliberate, right, that Kolokal is moving their cloak so you can see this. I am forbidding you from going there. You are welcome to stay with us, but in the morning, you need to leave. So you would just run and hide and let the rest of the world face this tyrant's wrath? Well, I, for one, am not going to let that happen. I have a kingdom to protect. And Rosidi also wants that magic ritual. But he doesn't. he's not letting this guy know that. I think everyone listening sees the irony in the sentence that you just spoke. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So basically, this guy showed us his sword and bow. Yeah. The three of you would also probably notice Navoth is standing away from all of you, but at attention, essentially. You can tell that they're watching you. Is Navoth armed? Navoth has one of their hands in their cloak. Cole, call. We don't want to fight you, but we're on a mission. We came into these lands to find something, and we know it's there anyway. I know you can stand in our path, but I won't even write about it. You can try and help us, or get the fuck out of our way. History won't remember those who waited for it to end. I think I'm kind of disgusted by him. (laughs) Having come from a city that was raised to the ground by forces outside of it, to see a man and a people who are basically just trying to delay an inevitable doom and stand in the way of people who would potentially try and stop it. Is there anything you're going for here, or are you just talking? Just two guys talking, sir. Maybe a defy danger plus charisma. I don't think there's an imminent danger here right now. Coca-Cola is making threats, but they're not going to, like, attack you in this moment. Well, yeah, yeah, you just kind of suggested it. That's why I was playing into it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm just telling you on a meta level. I'm not going to make you roll for that because there isn't imminent danger right now. I think it is just two guys talking. Yeah. Then I step forward, put my finger out, passed over his shoulder. Is it that way, then? It is clear to me that the three of you don't know what you're walking into. My master left years ago and went to that place and never returned. He had studied it, well, multiple of your lifetimes, but if you want to go to your deaths, I will not stop you. However, the magic there will feed on your lives. Emilio, you have two fingers that are blackened, I believe? Yeah. From the fight with the mummy, right? Yeah. Because I think you were shooting your bow. Okay. The remnants of the ritual gnaw at you already. And letting the edge of his cloak go to cover up his sword once again, Kolokal reaches out and gestures right next to you at your two blackening fingers that are numb to your touch that you can't feel with anymore. It will feed on you. You could trigger... I'm not sure what. The end? In end. Isn't that just what we're waiting around for anyway? To have it happen now or have it happen later when no one in this whole damned plane knows that it's coming? You just sit and wait and measure and try and block people who maybe would stop it? You cannot stop it. You don't know. 
You cannot stop it. Any more than you can stop your own death. You know it comes. Why do you not jump off this ridge? Why do you not make it happen quicker? Our species are mortal. As individuals and as a whole. <laughs> you may not understand, humans. You think your race will live forever. The elves dwindle already. Though as individuals we live longer than you, our species is closer to annihilation. So yes, we run from extinction. It is all we can do. I ran once. I'm done with that shit. If it ain't this, it's that. And it kind of carelessly gestures at Erezidi. If it ain't that, then it's something else. Biding your time isn't living. It isn't a story that they'll remember. We go in. And if the end should come, then scutter to the hills with your people. Enough! I have told you, I will not let you go to that place. Stay here. Rest. In the morning, like I said, you should go somewhere else. Navath! And Kolokal grabs the vellum that he was writing on. Put this with the others. You leave in the morning. And Avoth takes the vellum and folds it carefully, nods in understanding. Of course, master. And carries the vellum into the hut. And Kolkal sort of stalks up the side of the ridge a little bit, walking out from the three of you, leaving you by the mechanism, cooling his head. So are we sort of at a dead end here, or is there like an obvious path forward? Do we know where the necropolis is? No, the three of you have not seen it still, so you don't know exactly where it is. That being said, if you wish to survey the vulture lands from here, this is not a dead end. No, I, I didn't mean a dead end. Kimmin, did you have something to... Oh, so in the midst of our conversation, Kimmin was leaning on the barricade of the ridge and looking out over the vulture lands. Yeah, if you want to go for the survey, you totally can. I would be happy to. I don't think we need to read it all again. From what I'm looking at, I have a high vantage point. I don't know if you want to give that to me, given that we're also looking for a way down from here. No, I'll, I'll still give it to you. I think it's less the high vantage point um, and more so the fact that the air is clear around you, maybe. I'll take that, too. That's at least something, just given what I know about the other locations that you can see from here, you aren't necessarily higher than other things. So, Well, I mean, that's what I assumed from where we could go. Yeah, yeah. But you're still going to get a plus one for something kind of like that. We're also rested after camping for the night. That is true, actually. And, I mean, you guys had, like, a filling lunch and everything. I mean, you're in a relaxed situation is kind of the point to that. Maybe I should make a note of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say plus, plus two. two. There's a helpful NPC present. They're not going to tell you how to get to the necropolis. But they are telling you to go somewhere else, so they might tell you other ways. I don't need to necessarily have a talk about that. You know, it can be a conversation with Navoth that's happening off screen or something. They'll tell you what's around here. Okay, I'll take it. 
So that would be an 11. So I don't quite get that 12 plus, but still. Yeah, you're still going to know where you can go from here. <laughs> Could an aid get that 12 plus? Technically, but all that gives you is a plus one on two of the vulture lands when you head off. You can do it if you want to. Oh, okay. But no, it's fine. You are still putting yourself at risk. I didn't know that. That's all that did. I hadn't read that. Yeah, the twelve plus just gives you a plus one forward when you actually set off. Yeah. Basically, the idea being like you get a really good view of every route that you could potentially take. Yeah. You end up leaning really far off the ridge and then fall. I was gonna (laughs) say I I don't want to risk rolling a six minus and dicking it all up. So yeah. (laughs) Routes that you can see, the stairs back down to the statue. You obviously know that route which if you keep following, take you all the way down to the lake. You see pretty clearly a little ways back the same direction as the stairs, but along the ridge, you see that depression, the hole in the ground, that kind of black circle that you saw the night before. But now you can see it more clearly given that it's daylight, right? Shining on it. If you continue along the ridge, the other direction, the opposite way of that pit, it ascends very, very rapidly up into the mountains. You can't see anything below you. It is still covered in this haze this thick fog and especially because you're not in it it creates that barrier as you stand up the ridge though you do feel that you know the vibration of the mechanisms here working you can infer i think from that that this must be close by to where you're trying to get to but you certainly can't see it and you don't see a clear route there after cole call leaves i think melia watches them leave for a while you seem pretty heated now yeah i got fired up twice (laughs) in a row man i'm feeling the spirit of myself in my existence I pull ZD close. We should leave immediately. Agreed. I don't particularly want to have that old man get the jump on us. Where? So we have the depression. The and depression then, and farther up into the mountains. Those were sort of the two. Yeah, or we could go back down, which we could do, but where do you guys want to go? Where the narrative seems to be taking us is down the ridge, where it's like now we're trying to move toward the necropolis, which is further inland. Further inland would be like down the stairs. The depression is still on the ridge. And then the ascent is like where the ridge continues onto you. It just like turns into the mountains. It's the edge of the Titan's teeth. So it would be traveling either way, either the the depression or the ascent. They're in line with each other on the edge of the map. I'll put it that way. Okay. Where do you guys want to go? If you want more information about further distances, you could actually have a conversation with either Ko'okal or Navoth about it. What do you think, Ryan? You were going to say you got some interest? The depression, I think. Whatever that is. Because there was nothing really. It's just a trail into the mountains. There's not like a thing up there that we can see that's like specific. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine with me. Let's go forward. I think we spent enough time in the mountains. Just start making our way down. There's some kind of depression there. I saw it before. Rosidi looks up into the mountains. And high on a bridge. Are they, like, snow-capped at all? They're snow-capped. Yeah, cool. If you're looking really closely, you can see a bridge going across, like, two peaks. Just since you're asking more details about it. Up in the mountains, Urizidi sees just a red figure on a horse. And the red cloak billowing in the wind. Yes, let's, let's head to that depression. We would like to go to the depression. The... Three of you head off immediately, not wanting to stick around. As you travel and begin to approach this depression, the rocky parts of the ridge that you've been traveling along change slowly into more like sand and grit, small stones, pebbles. And you realize that you are in a 
slowly sinking funnel leading towards this pit. Whoever's leading, which you guys can decide. I think it's Kimmon. You get to a point and you slide down a few feet. You stand on your feet, right? But you realize that it has been slowly kind of tilting down. And this is the first time you really realize how slanted now this is. So go ahead and give me a tour of the vulture lands as you make your way toward the pit. Roll plus dex. That's an 11. On a 10 plus choose three, you find something useful or valuable on the way. Uh, You are aware of any potential active danger when you arrive. You do not encounter any ill effects while traveling. You don't draw unwanted attention while traveling. So I personally, and the, the, the table may protest, I'm fine drawing unwanted attention. Yeah, sounds fine with me. Yeah. We don't get any ill effects. We know about potential or active danger, yeah. and then we get something useful or valuable. Obviously, we want stuff, and we don't want to get hurt, mm-hmm. but if gods hate us, whatever. Yeah, but I do want a little bit. We could move towards some action, so yeah. I think that's how I want to do it. Yeah, I think so. Um, I was going to give you guys some adventuring gear, but I think you're doing okay on that, just as a, as a party. I got one. As you're traveling, there's maybe some old torn up equipment. There might be something scavenging here if you want to spend a little bit more time doing it, but it's piled up in this cascading sand and grit. But you do find like a pouch of poultices and herbs, if that seems useful. Yeah, 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 yeah that's fine. Kimmon, I think that's yours. Mm-hmm. Cool, yeah, yeah. Kimmon slides a little bit and notices a big pile of... Are there like bodies among this shit? Nope, it's just gear. That's oh, yeah. somehow less settling. <laughs> More unsettling. <laughs> it's a shifting face of sand. They've been buried. But yeah, I'll grab them poultices and herbs. How many uses? Two uses. And then, yes, you're not going to experience any ill effects uh, while traveling. You are aware of any potential active danger when you arrive. Uh, we will get there. However, you draw unwanted attention. Who's in the back? I think Urzidi is. Urzidi, you're the first to hear a loosing of a bowstring. A black arrow hits by your feet and quickly dissipates. Oh, sick. Like the the arrow disappears? Yeah, it basically falls apart to ash and drips off in the wind. Oh, okay. Above you at the top of the ridge uh, where you have slowly been descending from is a black cloak billowing in the wind. Koakal stands there with his horn bow. So I turn around and I see Koakal. I think we are going to have to deal with our Newfound friends before we can move on. And after he calls this out, Urazidi falls into his sword magic blade form. Yeah, go ahead and give me a roll for it. Cool. That's a nine. So I hold two. Okay. Melio and Kimin, as you are warned by your friend Urazidi, I don't think either of you saw the arrow hit and dissipate. But you do see Koakal standing at the top of this ramp. How far away is he? He is a ways. You would not be in range other than far distance for weapons. He has an advantage on you given that he is higher up than all of you are, right? I pull out my bow. Kevin, I'll get his ire. Get up there and take him down. And I'm all coolly just like loose a bunch of arrows up into the sky trying to get him off kilter. Okay, so your arrows are going to reach, but they could potentially distract. Is that kind of what you're going for? Yeah, let's go for that. I'm into it. Give me a Defy Danger plus Dex, then. We'll see how well this works. Cool. Sounds good. That'll be a 10. 
your arrows aren't going to hit the mark, but they're coming close enough that Ko'okal has to pay attention to them. This potentially Kimin would give you the opportunity to approach without just being shot straight in the face. Oh yeah, I'm just dashing up the ramp. If I can get to Ko'okal, I'm just going to tackle him. Yeah, I think the arrows are distracting enough that you're going to be able to get up. So just give me a roll for the tackle. Give me a defy danger plus strength. That's an eight. Yeah, you can get him, but he's going to get an arrow in you. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Great. Yeah, you're going to take one of these black arrows, basically straight in the chest before you tackle Ko'okal to the ground. Go ahead and roll a d10, please. Of course it's a nine. <laughs> oh! That ignores armor, I'm sorry. It hits you, but by the time you land on top of Ko'okal, taking him to the ground, it is gone. It's no longer stuck in you. Any other effects you'd like to layer on there? Nope. Oh, good. What are you at, like one? Two. Oh, nice. Oh, oh sorry, it's plus two also. <laughs> so I, I uh, froze out for like all the... I, you got shot with an arrow. Yeah. I got shot with an arrow. I took nine damage. And you're back to one? He's down to two health. How many total do you have? Not much. Uh, yeah. 16. Fuck. He's a wizard. Armor didn't apply as well, Ryan, just as a heads up, so... Oh, I only have one anyway. Nothing absorbed. It. But yeah, just as that. That's, yeah. that's also why. That, it's like, it was a pure was nine. I hope. Yeah, I'd like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the arrows. I would like to spend my two hold. Okay. To force a change of location, but for me only. Okay. I want to teleport up. Kimmon has successfully like brought Koakal down to the ground. Koakal can't use his bow from here, obviously. Yeah. Cool. No, that, that was why Kimmon basically let himself get shot. Which is nice. why it probably went in through the fucking collarbone. Yeah. Yeah, it probably was even sticking out the other side before it turned to ash. Ugh. Yeah, so I want to bamf into the air above Koakal and pull a nightcrawler and drop, like, with my glaive and punch it into Koakal. There's a Kimin on top of Koakal? Yeah. Okay. Kimmon might be what's at stake here, is what you're saying? Is that what you're trying to infer? Yeah, well, if he's jumping down on top of him and just dropping with his glaive pointed down, and there's a Kimmon between him and Ko'okal. So, I mean, I guess I could just land and make a more careful shot. So he just bamps up and is just going to take a more careful aim. That's what I wanted to check on. I think the only issue is that that's going to take a little bit more time because you have to wait for a moment to attack that there's an opening. Um, so, in that case, I want to know what Melio is doing. Melio is checking the ridge now that his two compatriots have uh, engaged our foe. Where's his apprentice at? Navath is at the top. They're a little ways away from where Ko'okal was, but since you're looking for them, you'll be able to spot them. Cool. They are holding a weapon in their hands. It looks like a large hooked shuriken, basically. What? Yep. It's like a giant throwing thing, or is it like a frisbee? It'd be frisbee-sized, but with numerous hooked blades. I hate that. But they're not, like, actively attempting to throw it right now. They seem to be hesitating. They all start walking up towards him, yelling, You gonna be a part of this or not? As I'm marching up, bow in hand. You shouldn't have snuck away! Hardly snuck. Yeah, I think that's exactly <laughs> what I say. Hardly snuck. We just moved on. I, I tried to talk him down. We don't need to kill him. He doesn't need to die. And the, Navath looks at you like they can't make up their mm. mind. They look back and forth a little bit. 
Uruziti, you are going to try to strike a Ko call. Kimin, you are probably aware of Uruziti's presence. What are you doing with Ko call? Ziti appears and lands a little way away. And so I'm going to try to make space for Ziti so I'm not in the way. Does that make sense? Yeah. We're both too close for Koakal to shoot us with the bow, and he can't draw his sword. And if he does draw it quickly enough, we can deal with that when it happens, but... So are you attempting to get away to make space, or are you attempting to keep control over Koakal? I'm making space. Like, I'm not trying to get away. I am backing up. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I just wanted to make sure I knew what your intention was. If you're backing away, but you're trying to do so in a way that benefits Uruzidi... What do you think? A Defy Danger plus... I want to lean like Dex, but I'm not... That doesn't feel right for some reason. Well, I, I think that's quick thinking. I think you can honestly compound it in Nazidi's role. I was just going to say, that could it just be an aid potentially? Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. We'll just do it that way. Nazidi, go ahead and give me your hack and slash. And then we'll worry about describing it when we know what the whole scene is going to be. Uh, that's a 10. Yeah, give me a damage roll. How badly do we want to kill this guy? That's up to you. I know. That's what I'm trying to think of how badly Z wants to kill him. Yeah, I would say us, us as players, I don't particularly want them to die. As far as like in the fiction, do I think it's inappropriate for him to get killed? No. No. And if he does, I don't know. I think even you asking that question kind of sounds like Z wants to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put myself in a spot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I know. I mean, and we all know what the spot is, too. That's great. Yeah, yeah it's it's this other guy getting involved, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Holy shit. Uh, that's 14 damage. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and describe how you kill Cole Call. He's struggling to get up, and I swing the blade low to high and just take his head off. As he's like on his hands and knees, like trying to get up off the ground. Yeah, I think with that force, right, it, it has that moment, the anime moment with the head literally popping off, yeah. flying into the air, and the body's standing there for a minute and then slumps to the ground. Cole Call is dead. Oh, their their head rolls on the ground and lands at Navath's feet. Uruzidi not having paid attention to Navath up to this point, this hurtling blade sinks into you. Go ahead and take a best of two D six damage. Armor applies. Five. As he cocks back and throws the blade, I just yell out, don't, kid, don't. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Trying to stop him from lashing out in anger. Oh, you have Nero at him. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. If you want to try to fully stop them, maybe I'll, I'll give you a roll on that. I think that makes sense. Oh, cool. Oh, all right. Um, And you're if you have an arrow drawn or knocked and maybe you're you know ready and pointed it at them, that can be a parlay. Ooh, interesting. I like that. Holy shit, we never roll parlay. I know, right? Am I taking damage, or are we waiting? We're waiting. Okay, yeah, we're going to wait. Yeah, we fictionally set up a situation that parlay is a useful move. Yeah, yeah. Navath is pulling the blade back, or maybe I think it even happens, and there's a moment, and then Navath looks at you, Melio, and there's that beat where you know now that Navath feels like they have to get involved, and you're like, don't do it, and pull the arrow up. Yeah. Because Navath's obviously in a bad position. No, yeah, he feels obligated. But also is outnumbered. Exactly. Like, they're going to die, and it's deciding if they're going to die out of obligation. I have to defend my master's honor. Yeah, I think it's really good. Give me that parlay roll. Cool. Parlay is plus... Charisma. Cool. That is a seven. So, you have to make good on this, basically. And I'm trying to think of the most interesting way to do that. 
This is an anime scene. You actually shoot them. They stumble backwards, and you have a conversation with them on the ground. I thought about that. You just, like, wing him in the leg. Or the shoulder is what I was thinking. If you're doing it that way, it could, it, it's interesting if, like, they throw their blade and you loose your arrow on them, and then you're like, this doesn't have to go any further than this. <laughs> it happens all at the same time. Oh, yeah. Ryan will take the hit. Ryan will take the damage. You're going to deal damage to Navath, and then you guys have that moment to actually discuss... And I think that fulfills the, like, you put yourself in a spot, but it, like, creates a narrative. Does that all work for those moves, like, snowballing together? Yeah, that tracks. I, I like so. this. Yeah. Cool. So, go ahead and roll your damage, Melio. A six. So, yeah, this arrow sinks pretty deep into Navoth's shoulder. I think the throwing arm as it goes out. But they get this whirling blade off, and Uruzidi, go ahead and roll best of 2d6. Yeah, I did. I took four. After armor. Four damage. Cool. So you take that four damage as this large throwing blade sinks into you a little bit. But there's this break here, right? And Navath yeah. has been hit by the arrow and stumbles backward. Melio, you're running up on Navath, it sounds like. Kimmon and Uruzidi, you still have the chance to act as well, but you see Melio approaching Navath, who has sank to one knee. What do any, any of you do? I think we just let Melio have this scene. I don't think we need to put ourselves first. I want Melio to do his thing. Cool. Yeah, we're not doing anything important anyway. Navath, stop. This doesn't need to go any further. He killed him. And he tried to kill us. Kimmon looks like he's about to die. I'm gesturing towards a crumpled over Kimmon. It doesn't look like he was trying to miss. He, uh... Let me take him. There's a cool flashback montage of trying to give Isth a proper burial. You can take him. And Navath stands up unsteadily, dropping their other blade in the sand, and walks, holding their shoulder, slowly approaches Ruzidi and Kimmin, uncertainly, not sure if the two of you are going to agree to this or lash out. And yeah, I don't think Navath would carry him away at this point, but if neither of you are reacting, they'll kneel down next to him. Zidi. <laughs> what? Get Kimmin. We're leaving. Is Kimmin, like, on the ground? Oh, I mean, I, I, I love it if Kimmin's fucking down. Yeah, so Urizidi bends down and... Where did you put those... Uh, those herbs we found? Kimmin limply reaches into the pouch at his side, slaps them into your palm. Urizidi pulls off that white cloak that he has. It's much more tattered and beat up, muddy now. But he manages to find some clean parts up near the shoulders and starts cutting apart this cloak, making sort of rough bandages and packing Kimmon's shoulder, wrapping uh, around his upper, like, torso. We get some nice anime music as you wrap Kimmon's wounds in the fading white, the beam shining on both of us as it slowly fades.
Navoth has um, one of their hands in their cloak. He's got his bodyguard sunglasses on. He's popping his neck. Furiously masturbating with his hand in his cloak. Jesus. I love violence. I've been waiting for this for so long. I'm like Pee Wee Herman in a fucking porno theater. Nothing wrong with it. Can't help myself. So doing nothing wrong is what you're saying. Yeah, doing what you're supposed to do. Hashtag Pee Wee did nothing wrong. Free Pee Wee. That's what he said too. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the problem. (laughs) Right before the cops hauled him off, he said, I'm free Pee Wee. Listen, man, the internet didn't exist. Where else were you going to jerk off to videos of porn? No shit. I'm pretty sure that it did exist. That wasn't. It was like 1992 or some shit that it happened in. Like it wasn't. It was just bad. That's all. Pornhub didn't exist. Is my point. That's true. (laughs) He masturbated in a porno theater. He was supposed to masturbate there. He did nothing wrong. Completely fine. Yeah. Just had to come after Pee Wee like that. Anyways, wait. Wait until. Wait until the people that got mad about that find out about Catholicism. (laughs) Oh. Oh no. Yeah. Pee Wee Herman just went off to work in a different studio. If he just became a priest, it would have been fine. No shit. He could have done way worse things and gotten away with it. It's true. All those confessionals just masturbating. (laughs) Just. Just cranking it to sins. Oh, you're a bad girl, <laughs> aren't you? Cranking it to sins is my Judas Priest cover. Cranking to sins. Cranking to sins. It's real good. It's real good. It's real good. And they wonder why we have three-hour episodes that are edited down to 50 minutes. Nobody wonders that. No, no. <laughs> nobody, at least nobody who plays role-playing games wonders why that happens. Anyways, uh, the boys have their, their hands on their pieces. 